Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal. All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity and sin. We all need the same Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. America is a very confused nation. This is Wretched Radio. Yep, I love the United States of America. Happy to sing the national anthem. Say the Pledge of Allegiance with my hand on my heart as long as we remember the under God part. But I have eyes to see and ears to hear. And as I see and hear the news stories that are coming out of Texas, one cannot help but conclude we are a confused nation on pretty much every level, starting with our inability to mourn. How many seconds did it take to hear the reports coming out of a small town in Texas that 19 people died because an 18-year-old kid went in and shot up an elementary school. These were little kids. And what was the outcry afterwards? Was it that we are mourning, that we share the grief with these families, that we are going to jump in and try to help in any way that we can? You heard scants scant amounts of that, but overall, it was gun laws or a critique of those who use tragedies to promote gun laws. In other words, it was quickly a political issue and not a grief issue. Why can't our country stop for a second and recognize the tragedy that was experienced? That these 18 families who lost their little kids and some older parents somewhere who lost the teacher of the kids are experiencing something that our blasphemous president alluded to for at least a minute when he gave an address to the nation. You may recall President Joe Biden appearing before the nation said some things initially that were appropriate And right, quote, to lose a child is like having a piece of your soul ripped away. He's lost two kids. He knows there's a hollowness in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it and never going to be able to get out. It's suffocating and it's never quite the same. Amen. Now, let's focus on that for these people. How's about also offering some encouragement or wisdom to families who are scratching their heads and going, wait a second, if that could happen in a little town in Texas, it could happen in my little town or my big town or at the shopping mall or in my church, which it already does. Instead, it quickly turned to a litany of blasphemies and encouragement for Congress to act and create gun laws that would keep people safe. That's a debate for a different time. The issue at hand is tragedy, mourning. If you recall, in biblical history, people would die and families and friends and entire towns would take a week to mourn it. We don't take seven seconds, let alone seven days. Instead, we launch into here's the problem. And again, A whole lot of blasphemy. There were at least 10 times the president blasphemed. 
in the course of 10 minutes. It was really agitating. The folks on Fox News, by the way, just in case we think it's just the left, the folks on the right, they responded just as politically. What are we doing sending $40 billion to Ukraine when we could be sending it to the schools? Now, again, a reasonable question to ask. I'm talking about timing. We want to be better mourners than most in America. And this has a practical application to us in our local churches. We have people who suffer loss. Are we willing to mourn with them, to grieve with them, for a longer period of time than just the next news cycle or the next tragedy in our church? America is a very confused nation with very confused priorities. How can we see the murder of 19 people and suddenly just run to the political realm to try to find a solution? Found it rather interesting that several of the commentators, I watched maybe an hour of Fox News. That's the most I've watched for a long time because I wanted to see the president's speech and I got to hear some commentary from some of the talk show hosts on Fox and they were scratching their heads and asking why. Why is this happening now? Why did we not see this before the 1980s? I saw a couple of people being interviewed who said, you never saw this when I when I was a kid. This just didn't happen. And, and they're right. So what has changed in our confused culture? Well, I was able to quickly write down eight radical changes in our culture that I believe contribute to are maybe not the primary cause individually, but collectively these contribute to the social malaise that we are seeing. Let's start with a change in the last 50 years of family. You know, we used to have some informal gun laws in this country. It was called dad. It was called fathers who made sure that their kids knew how to deal with our Second Amendment right of carrying a gun. They were trained. They were taught the community knew the kids and they would not put a weapon into the hand of a kid who was irresponsible. That doesn't exist anymore. We, we don't we don't see dads being as involved in their kids. life. A lot are, but many are not. Number two. We are definitely a culture of violence. I mean, every realm of entertainment. Consider the violent movies, the low regard for human life that we can just pew, 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 pop people off. But of course, if it looks like an animal is going to get shot, you hear a collective gasp in a movie theater. But now when people get gunned down, that's just no big deal. And that gets into a culture. And some use their digits to actually participate in these violent activities through video games. Why do I think that so many video games are just plain bad for young people? It is because it treats the image of God, likeness in human beings as disposable. Just shoot them. Bang, bang, bang. How many did you kill? Isn't that how you win points, by the way? How many people did you're rewarded for killing people? Don't tell me that doesn't play a role in what's happening in our culture. How's about the music? 
How's about gangsta rap? How's about the songs about popping them off and laying them down in a grave because we treat life so casually? Number three. Thank you, Supreme Court, for Roe v. Wade. We're a culture of death. We're losing over 3,000 babies a day in this country. Don't tell me that does not have a chilling effect on a society and a deadening of concern for little ones. Number four, you got yourself a lot of lonely and abandoned kids, parents who are not involved at all, and they're just they're looking for attention. They crave somebody to be interested. How do you achieve that these days? Well, you could be, change your gender. That's one way to do it. You can dye your hair. You can do something loud and you'll get attention. And it seems a lot of people are thinking maybe shooting a lot of kids in an elementary school will get me some of that attention I crave. Number five related to number four. We live in a fame seeking culture. These people are famous like it or not. Number six, social media. The whole bag, it encourages, it teaches. We've got kids playing risk-taking games, a devaluing again of the precious nature of human life. Areas where people can go on the internet to discuss their feelings, post their feelings, vent their feelings, find consolation for their feelings. Number seven, and this may surprise you that it's not number eight, or if you will, number one, the most important one. But number seven is that we're a post-Christian nation. I'm sorry, anybody with an ounce of gray matter cannot help but take a look at the predominant cult and how it has shrunk dramatically over the last several decades, along with social ills increasing over the decades. It just It's undeniable. The further away you get away from godliness, the more you are going to see depraved behavior and really evil, wicked stuff like the gunning down of students in an elementary school. Why didn't I make that number eight? Well, because I do believe number eight is a subject that we would do well to spend some more time considering because... It appears we have the science that reveals and exposes number eight as being a contributor to mass shootings. What is the eighth change in our culture? Well, it started in the 1980s, don't you know? It started earlier, of course, but the proliferation of psychotropic medication saw its increase in the 1980s, and it has exploded ever since. Is there a connection between mass shootings and psychotropic medication? Let's take a look at the science on this grievous and confused day, shall we? This is Wretched Radio. This is our dear brother, Max, in Ukraine, who's been a Tomorrow Club leader now for almost 20 years, giving us a picture of what is going on currently in Ukraine, specifically regarding the activity of the Tomorrow Clubs, normally kids' clubs where they meet every week to hear the gospel. But right now, those Tomorrow Club leaders are spending their efforts simply trying to minister to people 
who are in danger or who have nothing. And our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West are trying to, to meet the needs of those families who had to escape, serving them. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. There are many who need the bare necessities of life. Tomorrow Clubs is trying to serve them in that regard. Would you please consider what you might do for Ukrainian believers at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are certainly grateful for your time. So here's a crazy scenario. Did you know that there is a way for you to know all of the latest happenings at Wretched? When you can't even keep up with all that's happening in your own life, you can keep up with everything happening at Wretched. See, told you it was a crazy scenario. But you can keep up with all of these things by signing up to receive the monthly Wretched newsletter. Each month, Wretched sends out a newsletter covering tough theological issues Christians are facing today, and you're also going to get the updates about what's new and upcoming at Wretched. Makes you kind of wish somebody would send you a newsletter about what's going on in your own life. Well, we can't do that, but we can certainly let you know what's happening in ours. Plus, we give away resources every single day to one of our newsletter recipients. So go get signed up for the Wretched newsletter now at wretched.org slash newsletter. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Hold on to your socks. This might just blow them off. The Masters Academy International, brilliant on every level. There are thousands of empty pulpits around the globe. What have they done? Established mini seminaries, training centers in 16 nations to equip indigenous men to fill those pulpits and rightly divide the word of truth. But the Masters Academy International has an even higher goal. This is from Samara, Russia. The objective is not only to place the preachers of local churches on a biblical basis. The goal is not just to give them knowledge. The highest priority is to change the character, to create a minister of a completely different level than it was before, a preacher of a new generation. Amazing. Would you please consider supporting the Masters Academy International in their endeavor to do just that? Wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor. Know your reformers. John Calvin was a French pastor, an author of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. His writings and ministry made Geneva, Switzerland a hotbed of Reformed theology. His institutes are still guiding documents for Reformed churches across the globe. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Why, oh why, are we seeing a proliferation of mass shootings of little children? This is Wretched Radio. The world is asking why. Why are we no longer a nation that lives mostly in peace? What's changed? Well, the answer is at least eight things, starting with We're not as Christian as we used to be. Churches have lost their influence. Kids aren't trained to be godly. Kids do not have a high understanding of Imago Dei. We're living in a post-Christian culture, and you're seeing anti-Christian behavior. Number two, fathers, families, communities. Those used to be the gun laws that would make sure that kids didn't do risky, dangerous things with guns. Dads are not nearly as involved. Families are very busy. 
making money, getting stuff, but not investing into their children and making sure that they have something we used to call common sense and a high view of the human being image of God in us. Number three, we're a culture of violence, video games, music, and movies that glorify gangster behavior, that minimize death. You get rewarded for killing more people in the video game. No, that's not going to affect a kid at all. How's about abortion? When we're willing to kill the most vulnerable among us, it isn't a giant step to killing grade school children. When our culture doesn't esteem life, what do we expect the fruit to be? A lot of lonely kids looking for attention, looking for fame. How do you get it? You do something that gets everybody's attention and suddenly you get attention. Although most of these kids end up committing suicide before they can receive their glorification here through the media, which brings us to social media. This is a place, an environment that can encourage, that can be a place where you receive information about risky activity, where you can learn how to make bombs. Social media is a new addition to American culture. But the one that I'd like to spend a little time focusing on is psychotropic medication. There is no question we have seen an increase in uptake inhibitors. We have seen the common acceptance of using medication to change people's personalities. It's fascinating to me when I went to Google the subject there were a number of psychiatrists and psychiatric journals that were quick to say, no, 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 hold, hold on. There's no evidence whatsoever. It was interesting. This kid who just killed 19 people, the immediate report was there's no signs of mental illness in his history. Other than the sign that he killed 19 people, I think you got to be a little bit nuts to do something like that. There are people who want to defend psychotropic medication, and yet it appears there is much science to suggest this is an area that needs to be a part of our common dialogue, our public discourse on why we are seeing little kids get shot up. For instance, did you know the Citizens Commission on Human Rights International did a report called Psychiatric Drugs Create Violence and Suicide, School Shootings, and Other Acts of Senseless Violence. More than 30 studies that link antidepressants, antipsychotics, psychostimulants, mood stabilizers, and sedative hypnotics to adverse effects that include hostility, mania, aggression, self-harm, suicide, and homicidal thoughts. 30 studies that say, yeah, there's a connection there. You'll even hear the disclaimer sometimes with some of these medications that are advertised on TV may cause suicidal ideations. Whoa, 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 whoa. wait a second. They, they, could, they could make me want to kill myself, which raises a question. What do these things do? We'll answer that later. Here are some quotes 
from some people who have come to the conclusion psychotropics are contributing, at least a contributing factor, to the proliferation of mass shootings. An Australian judge said an antidepressant was, quote, the overwhelmingly probable reason for turning a peaceful, law-abiding man into a brutal killer of his wife. A Wyoming journey, jury awarded $8 million to the relatives of a man who, with no history of aggression or suicidal behavior, went on a shooting rampage, killing three family members, After taking an antidepressant, the jury determined the drug was 80% responsible for the crime and can cause people to become homicidal and or suicidal. A Harvard Medical School psychiatrist says, quote, the irritability and impulsivity from antidepressants can make people suicidal or homicidal. You know, some idiot, probably some idiot Christian from Harvard saying that an affiliate professor a biology at Loyola University says the link between antidepressants and violence, including suicide and homicide, is well established. A leading international psychopharmacology expert and professor of psychiatry reports violence and other potentially criminal behavior caused by prescription drugs are medicine's best kept secret. He believes an estimated 90% of school shootings over more than a decade were linked to SSRI antidepressants. Did you hear that being discussed anyplace? Anybody care to get serious about protecting our children? How's about a conversation on psychotropics? 27 international drug agency warnings link psychiatric drugs to the adverse effects of violence, mania, psychosis, and homicidal ideation. 49 warn of self-harm or suicidal ideation, and 17 report addiction or withdrawal effects, another issue that needs to be studied. The effects of getting off of this stuff, woo, are they nasty. The Adverse Event Reporting System of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has at least 1,530 cases of homicidal ideation associated with psychiatric drugs. Anybody talking about this? Research stock, the FDA ADR data, and it identified 25 psychotropic drugs that are disproportionately associated with violence. 25 of them. I think there's only one that isn't. The rest are. They'll even say it in the warnings. They have black box warnings. Um, Should you decide to read the fine print here, you might end up wanting to kill somebody including yourself, which is why it seems to me that's why we see these mass shooters killing themselves most of the time after they kill everybody else. It's because they've been wanting to kill themselves, too. They have both homicidal and suicidal ideations. Could it be that psychotropics are a part of the problem? A New York forensic psychologist says that most of the young murderers he has personally examined had been in treatment and were using prescribed stimulant amphetamine-type drugs before and during the killing events. These medications did not prevent, but instead contributed to the violence. What do these things do? Here are some of the effects of drug withdrawal. It's not just taking them, it's getting off of them. I saw medicating normal. They followed a number of people who had taken these medications, who are still recovering. It was a young couple, happily married. He starts taking the antidepressants, changes so radically, and now their marriage, at least when this movie was was put together, 
when it was produced, they were still together, but barely because he was so flattened. He was so changed. He couldn't feel love. He didn't care because that's what SSRIs do. They block your frontal lobe. They are, if you will, a medical lobotomy that blunt people's emotions and the side effects. Woo. The, con- the council for evidence-based psychiatry in the UK has determined withdrawal from psychiatric drugs can be disabling and cause a range of severe physical and psychological effects, which last for months and sometimes years. The Journal of Psychoactive Drugs reported it is now accepted that all major classes of psychiatric medication produce distinctive withdrawal effects. Withdrawal effects from sedative hypnotics known as benzo benzodiaz you know what I mean, can last weeks and sometimes months or years and include increased anxiety, perceptual distortions, depersonalization. They see people as no different than a paper cup. No wonder they're willing to kill them. Furthermore, the side effects, the depersonalization, paranoid thoughts, rage, aggression, irritability, according to leading British expert in the Institute of Neuroscience, Newcastle University, Newcastle upon Tyne. We also see studies about death by cop being connected to psychiatric medication. Kids who want to die by provoking a police officer regularly connected to psychiatric medication. America, we're a little confused when it comes to emotional issues, the solutions to our emotional problems, and the willingness to overlook what we think is a quick and easy way to help control people's behavior so that we don't have to deal with it. Well, it turns out we do. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Earlier this week, the Texas Association of School Boards cut ties with the National School Board Association, and it all stems back to last October when it was reported that the NSBA wrote and sent a letter to the White House requesting that parents who air grievances at local school board meetings be treated as domestic terrorists. And as asinine as that sounds, Attorney General Merrick Garland agreed, and he instructed the FBI to investigate parents who protest school board COVID policy and critical race theory being added to school curriculum. And after a lot of backlash, the NSBA later apologized for sending the letter. And after an eight-month independent investigation into the matter, the Texas Association of School Boards made the decision to cut ties with the NSBA, which makes Texas one of 25 states who have taken some type of action to end their association with the NSBA. And hopefully maybe the other 25 will follow suit soon. A Christian University has issued a ban that requires students to dress in accordance with their biological sex. Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee issued the new dress rule in addition to rules banning same-sex couples from engaging in PDA on campus. A premarital sex ban is also being considered, which I agree with and I'm totally for, but unsure exactly how you enforce that one. Some have labeled the new rules as discriminatory, while the university maintains they are only acting within their traditional Christian ethics. 
Plus, the school is private, so I'm pretty sure they're not being as discriminatory as they should. But maybe that's only me. So, if I gathered the facts correctly from this next story, I tip my hat to the state of Montana. As I understand it, a new rule or law was previously issued in the state that prevented anyone from changing their biological gender on their birth certificate, even if they underwent surgery. Well, then, a court order was issued that prevented the state from moving forward with that restriction. The argument was that gender is a social construct that may change over time. And Public Health and Human Services Director Adam Meyer said, you know what? I think you're right. Maybe gender is a social construct. And that would make it different from sex, which is immutable and cannot change even by surgery. Then an emergency rule change was issued by the Montana Health Department that changed the wording on birth certificates from gender to sex. Because, you know, they're just following the rules society laid out. Kudos to the state of Montana. And hopefully I got all of the details in the timeline of that story correct. Did you and your family celebrate Pansexual Visibility Day? Yeah, me either. Apparently Tuesday was the celebration and I missed it. But I was super busy on Tuesday. I washed my car. I washed my hair. I, I did the dishes. I was super... Wait a minute. I did the dishes. I washed a pan when I did the dishes. And I looked at it while I washed it so it was visible. <laughs> Maybe I did celebrate after all. <laughs> I'm so progressive. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 1727. A spiritual awakening at Hernhut, Germany, launches the Moravian Brethren as the forerunner of modern Protestant missionary movements. This 300-member group sent missionaries to Asia, Africa, North and South America, and the Arctic. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Is this good radio? No. Is it helpful radio? Absolutely. This is Wretched Radio. The world is scratching its head. Why so many mass shootings? Perhaps we need to talk about a number of cultural issues, not the least of which is psychotropic medication. A booklet was written on this subject. Let me give you his credentials so you can know who put together a history of psychotropics. His name is Dr. Daniel R. Berger II, founder and director of Aletheia International Ministries. He's an experienced pastor, counselor, school administrator, and the author of 10 books on biblical counseling, practical theology, education, and the history and philosophy of the current mental health construct. He has a BS in counseling, an MS in counseling slash psychology, and an MA in pastoral studies. Oh, and a doctorate in pastoral theology. He's an adjunct professor at several universities and seminaries, and he has done us a great service by providing a history of the medications that almost certainly are contributing to these national days of mourning when we see a school shooting little kids, people at churches, even in nightclubs. Why is this happening? Let's take a little look through the history of Daniel Berger's book, and I will confess to you, I know this isn't formatically good radio. You're not supposed to read this much, but I think it's necessary. And if you hang on for the ride, you're going to go on a historical trip that is a trip indeed. Pharmaceutical companies assigned the label antidepressant as a marketing ploy and speculative suggestion of these drugs' chemical action. 
presenting hopelessness, sorrow, and guilt as a biological disease. It allowed pharmaceutical companies to market drugs as necessary chemical remedies that allegedly target depression. It's brilliant. Medical professionals stating it's a medical issue. What do we do these days in the West? You get a prescription for what ails you. And so when we decided that the DSM-5 was a Bible and not merely a manual, we were given an open door, a blank check to write prescriptions for people because after all, this is a chemical issue. Furthermore, assigning a seemingly medical label for common human fragility and depravity and blaming it on a chemical imbalance allows drugs to be presented as a remedy. And marketing chemicals as a necessary remedy encourage the belief that depression is a physical disease. You got yourself just a vicious circle going on there, don't you? Foundational to pharmaceutical marketing and powerful circular reasoning is the false claim of chemical imbalances in the brain. Since psychiatric constructs, like depressive disorders, began to be viewed as chemical imbalances, chemicals then became the logical and seemingly only viable remedy. In other words, pharmaceutical companies and psychiatrists working together created supply and demand for each other in their joint labeling system. I'm sure there's some good people in those industries, but this is the history of psychotropics, and the effect of it is millions of people are taking them most likely unaware of what they are made to do. We're told they're made to deal with chemical imbalances. That's not what they do. Is it possible that what they do is cause people to act violently, even toward themselves? Ronald Pies, P-I-E-S, editor-in-chief of a popular psychiatric journal, The Psychiatric Times, explains that the chemical imbalance theory was created and popularized by pharmaceutical companies and has no validity. Quote, yes, the chemical imbalance image has been vigorously promoted by some pharmaceutical companies, often to the detriment of our patients' understanding. In truth, the chemical imbalance notion was always a kind of urban legend. Never a theory seriously propounded by well-informed psychiatrists. Um, he is one. And even he recognizes it. Contemporary neuroscience research has failed to confirm any serotonergetic any serotonergetic lesion in any mental disorder and has, in fact, provided significant counter-evidence to the explanation of a simple neurotransmitter deficiency. What is the science behind these psychotropics? Um, there really isn't any. You're taking somebody's emotions and telling them that it is a chemical imbalance and this pill will fix that chemical imbalance and hence your emotional struggle. This is why biblical counseling is so crucial. We get to the heart of the issue. We don't mask emotions. We bring them to the surface and explain what is the root cause of these emotional manifestations that are grievous or depressive or angry or frightened. Renowned psychiatrist Peter Bregan, he's going to be cited heavily in this booklet, there are no known biological causes of depression in the lives of patients who routinely see psychiatrists. There is no known genetic link in depression. There is no sound drug treatment for depression. The same is true for mania. No biology, no genetics, and little or no rational basis 
for endangering the brain with drugs. Thank you for your honesty. He confesses in another article that psychiatrists regularly lie to their patients, telling them they have a chemical imbalance because they know that they don't. He cites a speculation that it's because, well, we don't want to make people feel worse than they already feel. So we'll just say it's a chemical issue. It's out of your control. You're not deficient. It's just it's, it's just like having a cold. Leading psychiatrists admit that psychiatric disorders such as depression are not diseases. They are social constructs which attempt to explain and approach common human mindsets, emotions, and behaviors. <laughs> hey, sadness is in the spectrum of hum- acceptable human behavior. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He wasn't sinning. He wept over Jerusalem. And we can, too. Current psychological models say, nope, that's a chemical imbalance, and you need a prescription for it. Considered at the turn of the century to be be the most powerful psychiatrist in America, the former head of psychiatry at Duke University Medical School and chair of the American Psychiatric Association's DSM-IV, Alan Francis says, We saw DSM-IV as a guidebook, not a Bible, a collection of temporarily useful diagnostic constructs, well, like CRT, not a catalog of real diseases. Thanks for the admission. Why do we see so many secular psychiatrists promoting prescriptions that don't deal with chemical imbalances but blunt emotions in the frontal lobe? I think it has to do with worldview. From the booklet that we are citing, thank you very much, to Dr. Daniel Berger. The fact that psychiatric disorders such as depression are social constructs and not diseases is not to say that people's hopelessness or guilt and sorrow, they're not real. It simply points out that psychiatrists have framed these human realities as disease constructs to sustain their relevance and an attempt to explain the human condition within Evolutionary, materialistic thinking. We clearly, what we're seeing in human beings, we we should have evolved out of this. It's it's merely something that just hasn't been ironed out in the evolutionary ironing board that takes care of all of our human wrinkles. So let's help it out with medication. It fits their worldview. A former professor of psychiatry at Harvard University. This is Peter Bregan. It is a mistake to view depressed feelings or even severely depressed feelings as a disease. Depression is an emotional response to life. It is a feeling of unhappiness, a particular kind of unhappiness that involves helplessness, self-blame, and guilt. A sense of not deserving happiness and a loss of interest in life. Professor of Psychiatry, Boston University. Now a paradigm was emerging. Anger, lust, pride, greed, avarice, and sloth, as well as other problems we humans have always struggled to manage, were recast as disorders that could be fixed by the administration of appropriate chemicals. Former renowned Cambridge biological psychiatrist Robert Berezin, psychiatry has lost its way and has become a distribution center for psychiatric drugs. It needs to face that psychiatric problems and symptoms are human problems, no more, no less, derived from the formation of our characters as we adapt to our emotional environment. 
He says real psychotherapy addresses what ails us, not psychiatric drugs. Well, I don't think that does the trick either. This is the history of psychiatric medication. What are the success rates of psychotropics? What do they actually do? What is the chemical that is being balanced by these psychotropics? These are scientific questions that appear to be answered already. Often these drugs, they're stumbled into. They don't fix people. They don't help people. And it appears what one of their characteristics is, one of the goals that they accomplish, is making people think that murdering 19 humans at a grade school in Texas is a good idea. We'll continue the history of psychotropics next on Wretched Radio. Permit me to introduce you to Brie and Salvation Dominoes Preborn style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Bree currently volunteers at a preborn life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. What's the one question you think we get the most here at Wretched? It's why do you guys do what you do? And we thought the best person to answer that question was you. Wretched Radio is just really brought me closer to God. Wretched has changed my life. Wretched Radio, you all have done a great job at really bringing joy into our lives. Our goals have always been to preach the gospel, to equip people to preach the gospel, and to strengthen the local church. And when we hear testimonies from real people just like you, we are encouraged. My life will never be the same because of you guys. Through your video, God saved me. Wretched Radio, you encouraged me to walk with the Lord. And we know we would never be able to reach millions of people all over the world with the gospel if it weren't for the support of our gospel partners. If you're not a gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider partnering with Wretched to save the lost and reach millions of people with the gospel? Just log on to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the information you could ever want to know about becoming a gospel partner. That's wretched.org slash donate. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% 
of the members of MediShare, give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Books of the Bible. Ephesians was written by Paul to the churches around Ephesus. It is about who Christians are and how they live. When we are in Christ, we are made alive, reconciled to God, and united with other believers in the church. If you are struggling in your walk with Christ, perhaps it is time to revisit what Christ has done for you and who you are in Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do psychotropics work define work? This is Wretched Radio, another mass shooting, which should raise the question, what might psychotropic medication have to do with the increase of violent mass murders? The science appears to point a convicting finger that psychotropics are contributing to not only mass murders, but our suicide rates. Have you noticed they're off the charts? Have you noticed more and more kids desire and try and even succeed in killing themselves? And have you noticed that that same demographic is being prescribed mind-altering medications at a historically high level? I understand when it comes to determining did this cause that. You've got contributes versus causes. I understand that. But at some point, we've got to be asking the questions, do we have definitive knowledge that these medications actually do what they purport to do? And the answer appears to be no, unless, of course, you read the black box warnings, because they do, all of them, with the exception of one, mention these are the side effects, and they inevitably include suicidal and or homicidal ideations, violence, aggression, outbursts of anger, dehumanizing people. It's right there on the label if you ever see the fine print on these medications. Let's continue our history of psychotropics. This is from a booklet. Very helpful. Dr. Daniel R. Berger is writing about the history of psychotropics and quoting an awful lot of secular psychiatrists and universities who are willing to say, "Uh uh-oh, Houston, we got a really big problem here. Psychopharmacologist Richard de Grandpre, in association with Duke University, states there does not exist invented medicines that treat any psychiatric disorders. His book is called The Cult of Pharmacology, How America Became the World's Most Troubled Drug Culture. Explains how all prescribed psychoactive drugs are synthetic versions of their illegal counterparts. Wait, what? So you're telling me that these things that come in a little bottle with a label that were prescribed by a guy in a lab coat, they're like street drugs? For example, the chemical properties and drug action of Ritalin and similar melithonidates are virtually identical to cocaine. Oh, they are so alike that the prestigious journal of the American Medical Association acknowledges, quote, Ritalin acts much like cocaine, and the drug is widely referred to as kitty cocaine. Isn't that adorable? 
It's kitty cocaine, Jimmy. That's so funny, isn't it? Ritalin can easily be considered synthetic cocaine. Developed to mimic the 1950 results of cocaine effect on people's minds and behavior. We used to have Coca-Cola for that. Well, we found substitutes, didn't we? And now they're being prescribed and touted as the cure to what ails you. Likewise, Adderall is a synthetic and slightly modified version of methamphetamine. And what are known as mood stabilizers, like lithium, are no different than tranquilizers used to suppress aggressive animals. Oh, but look, it comes from a laboratory. Therefore, they must be good. Mm, this is this the religion of science, I'm telling you. We are seeing it rear its ugly head and flex its increasingly bulging muscles on our culture. That we worship science. We don't question science. Not about what the temperature of the planet is. Not about the validity of purported vaccination. Just don't question it, the scientists say. And it's true with psychotropics. We're told not to question. We better start asking some our kids are dying. I, I, I have a confession to make. When the president blasphemed his way through a national announcement and he got angry. No, I, I, I think that he was, no pun intended, aiming in the wrong direction. But I don't think moral outrage is wrong. He, he was right. Enough. Enough of this. Let's open up the books and see what's going on in our society. Are we willing to question science? Is it possible that we've been lied to? That we've been deceived about the efficacy of these drugs that are supposed to be helping people but actually hurting? From the booklet, we've been lied to about what these drugs do, especially when it comes to children. The deceit is so bad that prestigious medical journals like The Lancet have published articles exposing the commonality of fraud in regards to giving SSRIs to children. Quote, the story of research into selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors used in childhood depression is one of confusion, manipulation, and institutional failure. That was 2004. Dr. Ray Williams asserts, looking further, it's evident that the pharmaceutical industry is fraught with fraud. The new generations of antipsychotics is the single biggest target of the False Claims Act. Every major drug company selling the drugs has either settled recent government cases for hundreds of millions of dollars or is currently under investigation for healthcare fraud. Can we wake up as a culture and smell the psychiatric coffee? Psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk remarks, over the past three decades, psychiatric medications have become a mainstay in our culture. With dubious consequences, consider the case of antidepressants. If they were indeed as effective as we have been led to believe, depression should be a minor issue in our society. And yet, what do we see statistically? More and more depression. What does that mean? More and more drugs. So you get yourself a medical label courtesy of the DSM-5. You go to a medical professional who then gives you medication to presumably fix your chemical imbalance, the disease that ails you. 
and it is a money-making boondoggle. Billions of dollars are involved. Why aren't they working? If a pill fixes the problem, why do we still see people depressed? Even as antidepressant use continues to increase, it has not made a dent in hospital admissions for depression. The number of people treated for depression has tripled over the past two decades, and one in ten Americans now takes psychotropics. Editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine published a book called The Truth About the Drug Companies, How They Deceive Us, and What to Do About It. She exposes the most blatant ways big pharma functions and exists on fraud, false advertisement, misleading information, and refusal to fully disclose facts. She's written on how big pharma controls both government officials who regulate the medical practice of physicians, but also how big pharma, along with their corrupt and deceitful practices, establish the clinical guidelines that doctors are expected to follow and trust. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The name suggests it's going to help you. But as the name also suggests, it is designed to alter you. That's what they do. They attack normal bodily functions. It's not a drug that heals dysfunction. They're antagonists, which means they work against the healthy functions of the nervous system. More specifically, SSRIs block the normal reuptake of serotonin in the body, creating what many psychiatrists and physicians refer to as emotional blunting, medical spellbinding, psychic numbing, psychiatric indifference, neurological suppression. The official term is intoxication anosognosia, which describes not a healing action, but a suppressant of healthy neurological function. It is a control mechanism that creates abnormalities in the nervous system. The psychiatrist Peter Bregan successfully has won dozens of lawsuits for clients against Big Pharma by proving scientifically and legally these drugs incite violence and murder. The same thing is true for antipsychotics. Bottom line, these drugs are not healing agents. They do not seek out a biological problem and fix it. They are drugs that, quote, work by creating abnormalities in the nervous system. What is the success rate? About 30% say, yeah, I feel a little better. And in the meantime, we have people who continue to struggle with depression because they've been lied to and simply told, well, it's a chemical imbalance, which is not a scientifically proven fact. And they never deal with the issue that could actually cause them to grow in godliness. If you're on these medications, don't get off of them without a, the care of a doctor, because as we've heard, the side effects can be very challenging. Please get a circle of friends and loved ones around you to keep you safe, should you choose to do that. And let us all remember the history of psychotropics and perhaps bring it up appropriately when we unfortunately see our most likely next mass elementary school shooting. And until tomorrow, go serve your kingdom.